Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we're on episode 39 and today is going to be a debate episode, a little bit different than usual. We're not going to be talking specific about specific art articles that have happened this past week, but rather just larger debate topics in general. Of course, you have your host today, myself, Tyler, and Pratik and Nick. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing all right. Um, ready for a new show. I know it's a little bit different. Um, and today I want to take more of a backseat, let Tyler do more of the talking, and I want to do more of the debating and less moderation. Don't worry, I'll still be opinionated. Although, Pratik, I don't know, are you sure you don't want to couch mm. things and just say, some people say this, some people say that? I'm not going to tell you what my opinion is, but some people say this. <laughs> Nick's been getting on me about this, like, you know, how I, how I like, you know, flake around stuff. But no, I usually the thing is, I don't, I don't have really strong opinions about certain things. Like, I don't want to commit to certain things because I understand how there is, like, two different ways Pratique, to approach it. We're debating it. things. But whenever it there's comes no, to some opinions. There's no gray. It's only black or white. Yes or no. You're right or you're wrong. Okay? <laughs> As a Republican, you should know. Yeah, you win or lose. You win or you lose. Yeah. No, but there are some things that I do commit to, like minimum wage and certain arguments like that. But there's some things that, like the Cleveland Indians changing to the Cleveland Guardians, I don't have a strong opinion about how offensive Indians is. But I feel like Guardians is a stupid name. I will stick to that. That's the one thing he's <laughs> confident about. <laughs> but with that, we're going to be starting but with our first topic today, which is going to be virology, gain-of-function research. Should we be allowed to study infectious diseases that lead to pandemics? So for those of you that don't know, gain-of-function research uh, is medical research that genetically alters an organism in a way that may enhance the biological functions of gene products. Uh, this may include an altered pathogenesis, transmissibility, or host range. Uh, um, and essentially, in virology, the gain-of-function research is employed with the intention of better understanding cur current and future pandemics. We're studying these diseases to make sure that, hey, if they ever did come out and did go viral and it became like plagues like we had with COVID, uh, we maybe have some uh, vaccines to counter them. We've already researched them. We're not so far behind the curb. Um, the reason that we're talking about this is because after the information that's come to light about the Wuhan Virology Institute, the fact that uh, the COVID pandemic may have been leaked from that lab and that this lab was partly funded by America, and it was one of these labs where they're studying these pathogenic diseases, trying to find uh, ways to manipulate them, find vaccines in the future. Ultimately, though, it got leaked and led to a worldwide pandemic, so we see how dangerous it is to do this kind of research. So the question I'm posing to you guys today is, should we be allowed to research this stuff and be able to prevent future pandemics even though it slightly or maybe greatly increases the risks that we do uh, let these out, that they're leaked and we have more pandemics because of the, this kind of research. So what do you guys take on this? I think we absolutely should be researching these things. So diseases aren't static, they evolve. And in order to build a reliable medical care system and reduce human suffering and death, we need to research and study pathogens, not just as they exist today, but also how they evolve and spread throughout both human and animal populations. Like you mentioned, we've seen how one strain of a disease, COVID-19, can spread from a small part of China to the entire globe. This can happen with or without a laboratory, as we've seen before with the spread of swine flu or going back further in time, the spread of smallpox, which decimated indigenous peoples. I'd rather there be research done on new and emerging diseases as opposed to sitting back and waiting for the next major disease to hit us when we're unprepared as a result of shunning further research. 
And as great as Western medicine is, we don't know everything. We need to partner with institutions around the world. What happened in Wuhan, obviously tragic. And I think that just calls for more control measures. I think there should be risk mitigations built into research facilities such that they're actually investing in measures to protect the public from the spread of infection beyond the research setting. And also, just let's be real, given the horrific past of some of these experiments on unknowing subjects, whereby, take the Nazis, intentionally infected prisoners with strains of tuberculosis, which remains the leading cause of death today in 2021, I think you need things like independent review boards to both inspect and verify that the experimentation is being done properly and being done in accordance with what people are actually sharing publicly and saying, yes, this is what we're doing. We're carrying this out. And the fact that they haven't had an investigation, really a real investigation into that Wuhan lab, I think is sort of a slap in the face to uh, the message they're trying to get across, which is, hey, we did things safely. We were responsible. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I don't really know. I'm kind of split on this, to be honest, because I really agree with a lot of the stuff Nick just said. Like, I think you should have certain measures in place to make sure that if there is some kind of disease like that, then, you know, that is like man-made and is created in a lab, we should try to do our best to restrict this movement and, you know, get behind like how it all happened in the first place and prevent something like that from happening. I do feel that our current situation with how the World Health Organization, how a lot of these countries have handled COVID and how, you know, they have they were so slow in trying to, you know, put out that, you know, this all happened in the Wuhan lab in China and that conspiracy theory became what is known as a fact now. But I do think overall, I'm more on the pro side that you should allow these things just because like if you are to engage in some kind of research, this kind of stuff can prevent other diseases because you never know what the outcome of any research or any type of experimentation is going to be. Like, yeah, then when it goes bad and when it goes south, like, you know, we complain that it was bad. And I mean, yeah, some of these times it's like COVID where you don't know how to potentially solve a lot of these things, like the Delta variants becoming bigger. And I mean, when variants like that happen, you don't know what the exact way is to, you know, stop those kind of things because it's man-made. But at the same time, if we're able to come up with some kind of cure for some diseases like cancer or some kind of Alzheimer's disease or anything like that, then that kind of stuff happens because of experimentation. So I wouldn't, I would say that you need to have some of that stuff restricted and be controlled by a certain amount of people that are very skilled in terms of medical qualifications. But at the same time, you also need to allow these kind of research things to happen because if you don't, then that's just going to restrict and impede the next new discovery from coming about that could potentially cure something like cancer. But just to take a counterpoint, let's just say there are two reasons, two big problems with the fact that we're doing this. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but like the arguments against doing these kind of research is first you could accidentally leak it and we we've killed millions of now millions of people around the world because we decided to do this research and it it went south because it got leaked and millions of people suffered the consequences um it's hard to say that this is going to be a one-off event that this won't occur more often and while i agree that you do have to prepare for the future you could also just harm yourself in the present let's say covid was way worse and half of people were killed would you then say that maybe we shouldn't be doing this research do we just wait for that super bug that super uh, genetically modified disease to come and wipe us all out and uh, another point is it bio warfare let if you have bad intentions you're you're intelligent you have a lab you don't need too many people and you're able to create 
this disease that could potentially harm the entire world, disrupt our global economy, and again, kill millions and millions of people just based on being able to do this kind of research. It's hard for, I, I think it's hard for some people, and I question it somewhat, like, the intentions of all these people. I would like to think everyone has great intentions, but, you know, there's going to be bad people in the world. And if they do have the opportunity to study stuff like this under the radar because it's generally ex uh, allowed, um, that, that could be an issue, a big security risk. So, like, do you think the cost benefits are just very clear here? Because I'm not quite so sure it is. I mean, I wouldn't say it's clear. I mean, I, I agree with a lot of the stuff that both of you guys have said, even if I'm trying to take a pro stance, because, like, you're right. This is the problem. Like, obviously, whenever something like this does happen, all these people are just trying to protect themselves. Like, no one's going to take full responsibility for who caused it. I'm sure, like, I mean, Chinese people have faced a lot of discrimination since COVID started, and now they know that it came actually from China, and it came from a specific lab, and America funded it as well. It did, but, like, here's the thing. China wouldn't even let us investigate. So what does that tell you, yeah. like, about these labs? We can't—the point I'm trying to make is we can't trust everyone to be pure, perfectly ethical in this regard. The fact that China wouldn't let some unbiased investigation occur to find out how this happened, maybe how we could prevent it in the future. Instead, it's been a giant cover-up story. And that's incredibly scary, given the fact that we're going to continue doing this kind of research, and this could potentially happen again, and it could be even more catastrophic the next time. And I want to I wanna have a really strong, strange point here. And I feel like both of you guys are going to disagree with me. But this is why we need to really be careful on what countries we cooperate with when we're engaged in these kind of, you know, projects. I don't really think that you need to have some kind of international organization in place just for namesake to try to, you know, compare medical research and do all this stuff. Yeah, sure, there's some benefits that come out of it. But where does a majority of all the medical research come from? It comes from the United States. It's not coming from China. It's not coming from like some random country in Europe like Slovenia or Czech Republic. So you're saying you don't want a unified scientific so, community? I think it's probably helpful. I, didn't, I don't think, I'm not saying that. Only wants one if I'm not it's saying that. Listen, listen, listen. And Republicans. Yes. And, and Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and no, 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 not the, not the latter two, but I think that you need to have like, I mean, sure, international cooperation is great and all, but you don't need to make those, those international organizations control everything. I think all these domestic countries should have their authority and able to do their research on their own if something like this kind of bad situation happens. I honestly argue that COVID was, you know, heavily not, you know, put down because of the World Health Organization. Like a lot of those international organizations have a lot of, you know, like pressure to not you know you know like rat out some other country like china whenever they do something goofy and i think that in many of these cases if all these countries did their own individual research and every every now and then communicated with one another that would be great but i feel like whenever an international organization which is primarily funded by the united states is not doing you know the best things and they're not you know working and cooperating with everybody properly i just think it kind of is not it's like the un they're not they don't accomplish anything like what has the world health organization done yeah sure america's done stuff sure britain has done stuff but like the world world health organization is just a platform for all these people it's, to hang out it's not like they're accomplishing anything critique, in isn't the WHO so i just think part that, of the united nations i don't know why you call them out as two separate things 
Well, they, I mean, I'm just saying, like, the world, when I think of the United Nations, I'm thinking of, like, an international body where all these can, countries can communicate. The World Health Organization may be part of the United Nations, but it's also a subsidiary organization that's not directly tied to it. It's, it has their own separate um, governance laws. So because, like, it is different in, t- in many contexts, I'd, I'm just comparing how, like, you know, the World Health Organization is, like, the medical UN, and then the UN is, like, the diplomatic yeah, UN, but the, the WHO is part of the UN, though. Like, if you look at things like UNEP, the uh, UN's environmental program, if you look at things like ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, all those things are part of the United Nations. And so even though you're saying, yeah, they have their own subsidiaries and their own sort of structures within them, they're still part of the same overall system. It's sort of like the federal system that we have going on. Like, for example, all the, uh, oh, God, what is it, UNICEF or whatever? You wouldn't say that UNICEF is, you know, its own thing, completely separate from the UN. It's part of the United Nations. It's literally in the name. But anyway, this might be a small point. But I just wanted to say, like, in terms of international collaboration, it just doesn't make sense to me from an efficiency standpoint to have everyone researching things on their own. I mean, sure, on, on the one hand, if you don't trust another country, should you be doing research with them in a lab? Uh, probably not. Probably not the best idea if you don't have um, valid controls in, or not valid controls, but if you don't have appropriate risk measures in to, again, inspect the stuff, make sure it's actually going on, and have some transparency, then yeah, I agree with you. I don't think you should be partners with each other. That's a total breach of trust, like what China has been doing with that lab, not allowing people to investigate properly. However, I think there's the corollary to this, which is the fact that Tyler brought up, you know, military funding of this. I think you do have to separate out military funding from civil society in this. I think for civil society, we should absolutely be allowed to research this stuff. The military is going to go out and research this whether we want them to or not. You have places in the United States, what is it, Fort Drum in New York or some other bio um, weapon areas that are doing research in the United States where we have facilities out here. I mean, that's how they think um, Lyme disease ended up spreading was through military research out on Long Island or something. And I don't know, like there are certainly risks to that, but unfortunately, like ideally we'd be able to control that, but realistically, um, we're not walking around with top security clearance here. We're not senators. We can't really pressure them to say no. And even when senators have tried to pressure them to not do this research, they're, they're still doing it anyway. And I, Tyler, one thing I would say is um, the FBI, CIA, and others do have divisions that look at, hey, um, what happens if a bad actor wants to spread these bad diseases? Um, the one thing I don't, I'm not sure if they have is like, all right, well, what if someone wants to poison a water supply? I don't know if they're looking at that, but I do know that they, at the very least in the United States, we have divisions out there who look at, hey, what happens if a terrorist group wants to unleash a bioweapon on us? We do have people actually looking into that and trying to actively protect the United States from that. Okay. It's just, you just know how incredibly scary that is. Like, let's say North Korea somehow, like, not that we would be able to regulate their studies anyway, but let's say they get access to technology that we developed and go, hey, our economy is in the shitter. We'll take down the rest of the world with us just because that's how we're going to roll. And, like, that's a scary thought. Like, it, this could be... Uh, one of like the most dangerous terrorist weapons in the future, unleashing these pandemics on people. So it's really it's it's scary. But ultimately, we're not gonna be able to stop this kind of progress. You're right. We're not gonna be able to stop the military from researching it. We should research it somewhat so that we could be ahead of the game, develop vaccines and whatnot. But 
man, this is going to be a, a something that we're going to have to be constantly dealing with in the future. So hopefully we're preparing now for our next pandemic, and hopefully we don't forget in 20 years that pandemics can't yeah, happen. Yeah, and one, one thing it, just to add, since you know I've got the environmental bent to me and the rest of it, um, there are a lot of old viruses that are locked away in the Siberian permafrost, and when that all melts, mm-hmm. if that gets released and then it gets introduced into animal and human populations... I think we actively need to be doing this sort of research for climate reasons as well, where if these older diseases that frankly are pretty fucking scary <laughs> get released into the general population, I think we should be researching some of this stuff to see, okay, crap, we know that there's a natural process that's happening. We know that these are going to be released at some point. What happens when they actually do? I don't think we should put our heads in the sand and just pray that it all works out. I think we should be actively looking into this stuff. Although I do agree, to concede a little, I do agree with you that, you know, sometimes I think we're a little bit too um, gung-ho in terms of scientific progress, and we forget things like the precautionary principle and actually, you know, take it easy and fully, you know, develop everything so that it's as safe as possible before we actually go ahead and do research. Uh, Some of these scientists, man, I don't know, they're hungry for it. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah. like you said, sometimes you can just get a little bit too ahead of yourself and it can get out of control. Well, the stakes have never been higher because of how much we've progressed and because of how dangerous these things are and how technology, you don't need hundreds of thousands of people anymore to take someone out. You can have a few people in a lab developing some chemical that wipes out a population. So, it's, you know, it's, it's a scary thought, but I, I agree with your Dude. points. Pratik, any final yeah, thoughts? Before Pratik gets, oh, yeah, so- Pratik, go ahead. I was... Yeah, yeah uh, go, I was going to go. say one okay. one final thing on that um, was, oh, gosh. Wow, I was so rude and in interrupting that I actually forgot my thing. Uh, Pratik, go ahead. Finish your thoughts. I think I've said all I, <laughs> all I needed to say. <laughs> so all, all I would add is that, I mean, obviously my, my stance is the international organization thing. I don't think that we we become really gung-ho and trying to you know develop an international body to try to help mitigate a lot of these diseases and all this stuff which is all great but you have to have some kind of structure and you have to have some kind of pathway and how all this stuff works it's kind of like you can't just jump the gun and try to you know just try to create something just for the hell of it and we have to have a lot of international monitor monitors that are in place if you do go this route where you do have some kind of disease, you know, that you're trying to research. And whenever, like, you have some countries like China and Russia, like, non-democratic countries that control the show within their own countries and there's no, like, you know, regulatory body overseeing them because they literally are the government. Like, in those situations, I honestly think that America shouldn't be as... I mean, those countries are America's competitors in the end of the day. Like, the biggest competitors to the United States are China and, and China and Russia. And both of those governments are very different. They're not necessarily utilizing our research and we're not necessarily using their research. We all have our own internet. We all have our own domestic, you know, things that we're well, doing in terms there's certainly of espionage ourselves. going on. We weren't there like weren't there a bunch of cases of I don't know about us in China, but at least the Chinese in America, they would go into these institutions and they would have spies essentially throw the research back to China. And I mean, that's what I'm saying. So like, I would argue that, I mean, you should have an international organization, but you should have those based around democratic countries. Allow all these, it's be like something like NATO, just allow countries that are similar in terms of democratic countries that America is aligning themselves with this kind of research. Because I feel like in all honesty, 
countries like Czech Republic and Slovenia are not going to somehow determine the next, you know, hating on like Slovenia, solution dude. to solving something. I thought like you liked Melania. I really Trump. can't. You're hating on Slovenia. Hey, but even in the Cold no, but, War, we worked with Russia in, in space, you know, like we, we've been able for the sake of science and progress and humanity to push past that to some degree. And China is one of the biggest, more developed countries in the world especially in regards to science so it's hard to but say just don't see, work with them at all you know i would argue that if covid happened in america and it was happened because of some american lab america would have been upfront about it we would have got a lot of criticism but we would have been upfront about what happened and we wouldn't have like lied behind the world health organization and you know them covered her you know butts mm -hmm. but because this is china China literally controls their country. Like, who's going to go speak out against the Chinese government in China unless you want to, like, you, you love going to jail all the time? You're not going to do that kind of stuff. So I just think that with America, we have those kind of precautionary measures. But even if we do screw up, like, there is some steps in place to actually holding those accountable that do screw up. And a lot of those other countries don't have that kind of stuff. So I would just think that... Yeah, sure. Like, I agree with a lot of the stuff that you're saying. But when it comes to my stint on international organizations, when it comes to something as deadly as this kind of, you know, disease like COVID that happened, like, I mean, who would not want to blame China for everything that happened? Because it all happened in China and it was caused by China. But we're not trying to blame them because if we do, then we're somehow being discriminatory against China. Like, that's the way you've looked at it. And that's what's, what's wrong about this. If this happened in America, you would have had all these countries be like, oh, America causes virus is so bad in america would have been like yeah we caused the virus is so bad we apologize but like at least it would have been like you know up front and this is what i don't like about how this whole thing has gone on like even if this kind of stuff happened by accident or on purpose we really don't know because we we just found out it happened in wuhan lab after you know trump had been talking about it and back then he was a moron because how can you blame that on some lab like what bats like what what is that all about like this was the conversation now we know what's up so I just think that if all this stuff would have happened, you know, much quicker, we would have been able to solve this stuff at a faster rate and we would have prevented millions of people's lives from being lost because we blindly followed people like Fauci and the World Health Organization. Instead, we should have just, you know, solved the thing and prevented it where it happened before it spread all around the world. See, that's true. But the, the problem is the nature of science is if we develop something in America, it's inevitably going to end up around the world. So, yeah, you know, us... Us progressing means they progress in a way, um, but that's that happens anyway. But we're not, you know, you're not, we're not utilizing Chinese research. There's a reason why American stuff spreads everywhere is because we have the best stuff. I mean, it's nice. I know I sound like really pro America, but like it's true. America is the one that has solved like almost all the problems of the world that we have today. If there isn't for America, half these issues would still be continuing. Like, you know, like we're the reason why we have solutions for things. And all these people utilize American stuff because our stuff's better than anything that they can produce. Like, and I mean, in all honesty, if we, if any country had the same amount of, amount of resources and financial resources as America, there's only really two, China and Russia. If China produces some kind of like vaccine or produces some kind of drug, we're going to be like, yo, we can't trust that stuff because it's coming from China. Like, I mean, that's going to be the honest yeah. fact. Like, however way you want to sugarcoat it, it's still true. Same with Russia. If Russia came up with a vaccine and they were, like, trying to spread it in America, America would be like, no, nah, man, we can't trust the Russians' vaccine. We don't know where that's come from. It has to come from America. It has to be FDA approved before we utilize the vaccine. Otherwise, we don't know if it's going to work. 
And then you're going to have these, all these anti-vaxxers and they're going to be like, yo, we're going to get some brain chips in us oh, and the government's going to control what we do. Hey, dude, people used to think right. what happens if there is another black death or something. And people are like, oh, well, you just quarantine wherever <laughs> people are sick. And now we've realized no one gives a crap about any of this stuff. They ignore it. They don't care. If we had another plague, like Tyler said, it would probably be pretty bad because no one cares. They want to live their life. They've got their freedoms. Yeah, why not? COVID could have been way worse. Like, let's let's just be real here. But with that, I think we've talked enough about this. Um, let's move on to our next big topic of today. Should we or should we not legalize recreational drugs? Uh, drugs like marijuana, meth, cocaine, LSD, psychedelics in general. Um, uh, there, there are some exceptions with some certain prescription drugs. We can get into the nuances there. But generally right now, we're just talking about the main mainstream recreational drugs that people try. Of course, the ones we just listed, almost all of them illegal. There are drugs that have been legal and are accepted as legal, something like caffeine, something like alcohol. Uh, so we can talk about that in the debate as well. But let's start with Nick. Nick, do you think we should legalize all drugs or do you think there should be restrictions? And these recreational drugs, we got to keep them under wraps, keep them under control. Even though the war on drugs didn't work, we can't necessarily say just throw out regulation altogether. We need some kind of limits. So there's already an opioid epidemic one that will be made worse by legalizing all recreational drugs, in my opinion. Uh, the principal means that we've used to reduce the opioid epidemic has been to crack down on doctors who have taken money, blood money, from the pharmaceutical companies in exchange for promoting and over-prescribing opioids to Americans, adding easily accessible heroin, codeine, morphine, and oxycodone will make this problem substantively worse and add to the more than 70,000 Americans who die every year due to opioid overdoses. And also, I guess, uh, another thing that I'm thinking is uh, for legalization, I think it really depends on whether or not there are strict regulations that uh, go along with legalization. Because if it's just carte blanche legalization, everything's cool, everything's on the market, you can get whatever you want. I think that without having tight regulations, I think the existing suppliers of these recreational drugs are going to dominate the market. And therefore, it's reasonable, in my opinion, to assume that the cartels who've enacted prolonged terrorism campaigns throughout Mexico and other areas of Central America, including the United States, actually, uh, Texas-Mexico border, uh, I think the cartels will stand to benefit the most from like legalization if we don't have things like strict regulations in place. I just think inertia, existing supply chains are going to dominate, and I think it's too easy nowadays. I mean, you look at stuff like the, the Uyghurs in Shenzhen who are being forced to, um, you know, harvest all of this cotton which then gets you know pushed out into the global economy it's in all the clothes that we wear the apparel that we buy and so i think even when there are bad conditions let's say associated with the cartels having a stranglehold over producing some of these recreational drugs then even if that's the case i think you can muddy the supply chains and still get around certain things so i really do think that you need tight regulations and ultimately uh, to channel my inner critique and go a little nationalism here, um, I think some of them would have to be produced in the United States. American-made drugs, if we're going to have them. Well, so tight regulation or, like, so you're saying you could, you could legalize, you just need tight regulation? Is that where your, your argument is? Essentially. I mean, look, uh, me personally, I think you could legalize them. I think you could legalize them today, and I think we'd be totally chill. Um, but I'm just saying, like, if you were to legalize them, I think you need regulation. I know I'm sort of taking the anti-side here. Uh, but Tyler, I know you're pretty passionate about this. What are you thinking about when you're thinking legalized drugs? Why should we do it? 
you don't care about these people dying well, from opioids? I, just, just actually to the point of people dying from opioids, you mentioned 70,000 people die a year. Largely, the reason people overdose on opioids is not because they're so addicted they have to take a lot. It's because they don't know what dosage to take because every batch they get's different. A lot of them are laced with things like fentanyl, so they're just misdosing, and that's why they're overdosing all the time. So my argument would be if you had a regulated system where I knew I was buying X number of opioids when I went to the store and they maybe it was through a prescription regulation service. I'm not quite sure. But if I was able to get exactly the amount I needed, even if I was addicted, I could prevent myself from overdosing. And the ways to prevent overdoses, they have things like Narcan. There are ways to prevent these things from happening. So, of course, you're going to have people overdose, but the, the amount of people overdosing is going to be far, far less I also think that the reason people get hooked on these drugs is because they start with the pharmaceuticals. They have doctors prescribing them opioids. They find out that they get too expensive over time. Then they're moving to the street drugs. But when you legalize things, over time, the supply and demand will make it so that the prices are inevitably going to be cheaper. And when I know I'm going to be getting it from a source where I don't have to guess my dosing, I don't have to wonder if I'm going to overdose and die after this hit or whatever, I think that's probably a good thing. Um... And I think that's true of pretty much all the drugs, like amphetamines, for instance, methamphetamines. People take Adderall. People take Ritalin. Those are small doses of amphetamines. We already have these drugs in our in our society. We just have them in limited quantities, quantities specifically from the pharmaceutical industry, which is fine. But to say that people can't get them on their own and that society is going to fall apart once we legalize these drugs, I'm not quite sure. I don't think society is going to fall apart, but I think the problem is certainly going to be made worse. I mean, you mentioned that, um, you know, it's important that people know what they're getting into. However, I would say that people have known what they're getting into with a lot of these legally prescribed drugs. And so when you're getting something legally prescribed on, you know, they're actually, the doctor's figuring out, all right, here's the patient, here's the dosage we should give them, here's everything. And yet people are still overdosing. Tens of thousands of people are still overdosing every year from this stuff. And granted, it's been going down a little bit, but that's because of the regulations we have in place that are saying, hey, you're overprescribing this stuff. Doctors, you got to, you know, get this under control. We have an epidemic here. We got to solve this. And I think that if you um, take those controls away from it and just say, yep, everything is legal and it, it, this is for the existing people as well who are already being prescribed this stuff or have been prescribed in the past. Even if you know your current dosage, it doesn't mean that you're suddenly not going to magically not going to overdose. I understand that over time what you're saying, I get that argument. Um, but I think in the near term, if you legalize it, I think you're going to have a mass ramping up of deaths in the near term. All right. So I have a I kind of have a similar opinion to Nick, but I'm on the Tyler side where I think it should be legalized. I just believe that it has to be done really procedurally and through like, you know, a certain process. I personally think that when it comes to drugs, like you should legalize a lot of these drugs because it kind of eliminates the black market situation and you establish laws and regulations behind it that, um, you know, reduce the level of unreported crime and trafficking and that kind of stuff. Like in all honesty, I feel like whenever we think about drug overdoses, when we think about the amount of, you know, cocaine trafficking or anything that goes on, it's a big, it's a much larger number than we're really able to fathom because the only thing we're seeing is the amount of people that, you know, 
have they've been able to report and whenever things are illegal there's a lot more potential crime that happens and we're able to see and i feel like whenever you um if you legalize this kind of stuff like let's say you legalize cocaine let's say you legalize prostitution marijuana certain things like that that are generally you know pro quote unquote illegal the way you should go about it is you should figure out a game plan on how you would legalize it. You need to have like a process in place. You have to figure out whether the government is going to control this production, whether you're going to have private companies control this production, whether you're going to have like the FDA regulate certain things, are you going to create a new organization like the FDA to regulate certain drug, you know, doses and quantities that are provided to people. But I feel like the moral of the drug thing is whenever you're like, there's not a there's not a good reason to why people want to consume drugs it's not like no you know, there, people there, there are, are good reasons cocaine. look if your life is terrible you got let go from your job you're low you're maybe not doing so well in life like it makes sense why people would want to dull the pain like to me it that that's not the issue it's all right we have cartels mm. controlling the game would you rather cartels controlling it or like a legal uh, a legal route with companies that are at least under some scrutiny controlling what's going on, not being violent because they can't because they have to abide by the laws to at least some degree. I, th I think it makes sense. And I think the war on drugs has just completely failed. A lot of it's targeted uh, nonviolent drug offenders. They talk about it all the time. And I know we, if we parse the drugs, yeah. I'm sure you would agree on, let's say, marijuana. Almost half of people that are sent to jail are sent to jail for marijuana. It's like, all right, is that really where we should be spending our budget and focus and time? Probably not. But even on the opioid front, like I said before, I'm pretty sure the reason people are overdosing is because they just can't get the dosage dosages they want, and they would be much more likely to go through a legal service, and we're able to provide treatment then. Right now, if you want to get treatment for these things, there's a terrible stigma against it. And I'm not saying there wouldn't be a stigma against it in the future, but at least we could provide services saying, hey, you can do these drugs safely here and you're not going to go get a dirty needle or whatever. Um, it just but seems like not. taking things away from the gray market is almost always a good thing. And I'm not sure that the people that wanted to do, do these drugs wouldn't find them anyway. That's why there's such a big drug market in the United States. The people find their cocaine. They find their amphetamines. They're not lacking these resources. They're just lacking a legal channel to go through and safety. And that's the biggest issue for me. It's like, do we want I people are going to use drugs? Do we want them to use it safely or not? I think it's all about process, though. And then, as I said, like you need to come up with a uh, you need to come up with like a game plan on how you would legalize something like cocaine. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to target like the people that are you know dealing this cocaine illegally? You know, like that are in the black market chains. How are you going to shut down suppliers? How are you going to regulate the process? Who's going to control this production? How are you going to regulate that process? There's a lot of steps in place. This is why I think like in person in on at all honestly, I think you should legalize everything like i mean that's how you're gonna reduce the black market situation that's how you're gonna make it safer that's how you're gonna get more things reported so then people know who is at risk and how you're going to you know reduce the issues that those people are facing all of those kind of things but i honestly feel that you need to go through those step-by-step -step procedures and you need to legalize this stuff in an incremental process you don't want to jump the gun and just automatically decide that all right even with marijuana you don't want to be like all right let's legalize marijuana that's great but who's going to control this production is it going to be privatized is it going to be controlled by the government who is going to be the prime who how are you going to regulate the 
marijuana suppliers i know there's like companies like tilray and you know um cgc that are there you know creating the marijuana stuff and growing it but there has to be a regulatory process marijuana is much easier things like cocaine is less easy things like heroin is even less easier you just have to go about it step by step in all honesty in terms of a moral basis i'd say you need to legalize it but i do think you need to have a lot of steps and precautions in place before you decide to legalize something and have a game plan so ready Pratik, you said earlier That's... that you don't understand you said that there's no good reason for someone to do drugs and then tyler you know had his rebuttal but now you're saying that it's a moral imperative that you legalize them so what is your moral reason yeah well i'm i'm not because not because there's like you know like a liberty I mean, reason? obviously whenever like somebody does i'm surprised you like haven't said that tool how you this is america critique everyone should be able to do whatever they want yeah I do believe that. Well, without but, hurting other I mean, people, right? So. Again, only only thing when it comes to this kind of stuff, like when it comes to something like cocaine or heroin, there's a lot of people that end up doing this kind these kind of drugs and don't understand, like you know, the ramifications of it. But I feel like you can't really educate that. These people just have to learn for themselves. I, like, you could they say have the same thing about alcohol, internet. dude. Like honestly, people yeah, yeah. know alcohol's bad, and still you have 13 year olds everywhere exactly. drinking alcohol. So, but I, like that wasn't the premise. Drug use necessarily. That wasn't the premise of my point. When I say morally, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people that are dying out there because of drug overdose. And the way that you can prevent it is by legalizing it. Because when you legalize things, you also find how, where all the chains are, where are, who are all these people that are, you know, facing the effects. We're only probably seeing a small percentage of the people that are doing drug overdoses because I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, that stuff that's not reported. And there's a lot of more black market stuff where if you were to legalize something, then you can figure out where something is coming from and then you can stop it there. And then you can figure out how you want to price it, how you want to like, you know, advertise how bad these products are and if people still want to buy it that's their protocol it's not like you know when somebody buys a cigarette they have so much stuff on there saying that don't smoke the cigarette you might die blah 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 blah. people are still going to do it and i think that's going to be the same thing with any drug but i just feel like whenever it's legalized you're able to control it better and you're able to figure out all that stuff and make it so that there are less crimes and there all are less deaths that happen because of it and people don't know how what's the correct dosage as tyler was saying i completely agree i just think that you know that's a big issue something like cocaine specifically i've never done cocaine i don't know what it feels like and i know it's like bad for your heart and your cardiovascular system and all that but right now from what i've read apparently the cocaine people get it's only like 20 30 percent actual cocaine it's mostly cut with things like creatine even like rat poison just random powders that you're getting most people don't use test kits even though it's probably a good way to go in an illegal market so you're just getting this crap um maybe it would be better if you were doing real cocaine maybe it wouldn't be as bad for you if you were doing what you thought you were doing Uh, i just think for the libertarian argument people should be able to do what they want to do um sure you could argue it's going to hurt other people but i i would argue alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world and all the stats prove that the most people die from that even though we talk about opioid over death uh, deaths how many people die from drinking either chronically or just drinking too much and ODing? that happens all the time so if i'm making an equivalency argument it just seems like it doesn't make sense why we can have that be legal and not others other than historically our societies have allowed it therefore we need to allow it or probation prohibition just didn't work so we can't allow it well you know prohibition didn't work for all these other drugs and we've created these cartels we've created these gangs 
and it seems like there's just more violence, more unregulated markets. People are getting crap they don't want to use, but they have to because people are inevitably going to use drugs. We can't stop humans from using drugs. It's always been part of our nature. So you could argue what you want to, but we just have to assume that people are going to want to get it. They're going to find a way to get it. And if you can't provide it to them, they're going to find another means to get it. And you have to be okay with that and accepting that if you're going to say that we can't have them legal. Even before, if regulated. Before, I think they should be regulated, obviously. And uh, sorry, before, I want to make one last argument. Um, a lot of these drugs, what happens is these chemists will change the molecules by one, one molecule. So you're getting a drug that's slightly different than the drug, but technically it's illegal because the government can't keep up with all these different molecules like... You make a meth that's slightly different than meth, so it's legal, but guess what? It turns out to be twice as dangerous. We don't know the effects of these random drugs that are newly designed. So you have what are called designer drugs coming out that are impacting and hurting people far more than they, if they had the actual drug that they were intending to happen have in the first place. Are you saying that designer but, drugs and, wouldn't be a thing if we legalized all drugs? No, they, they would be a thing, but a lot of people get designer drugs thinking they're getting the actual drugs. So we're, we're providing a market where either either because it's cheaper and drug dealers can cut costs or they can skirt around the legal system saying, hey, you haven't made this illegal yet because we just invented it and you couldn't have known. And in science, there are so many things that you can just alter slightly and make a completely new drug with different effects that we don't know about, potentially way worse. So before, before Nick... Um, talks before he has his moment. I wanted to add one more thing. Um, when it when you talk about drugs, the only other thing that I've always seen is that we always try to prevent people from utilizing certain drugs. For example, tobacco. Like remember when cigarettes? We all found out cigarettes were really bad. Like we've always known cigarettes are really bad. People still smoke regardless of how bad cigarettes are. But even when you have all these anti-cigarette advertisers, when you also have like all these things on each like, you know, cigarette carton saying that, you know, don't smoke, this is harmless, harmful to your health, people continue to do it. But like you try to prevent younger people from doing it. And now younger people are switching to things like vape. Vape is almost as bad, if not, I mean, it's not, it's like a little bit less bad, but it's still pretty bad compared to cigarettes because you're inhaling metals and machine machinery into your lungs along with levels of nicotine, which were similar to what was there during cigarettes. It's not necessarily tobacco, but you're still inhaling nicotine and metal stuff into your body. And a lot of that stuff can cause other defects and other problems, not necessarily lung cancer, but there's going to be other potential problems that occur because of vaping so there's always something new people move to it's not like people just quit doing something because you tell them it's bad to do it they will just move on to the next thing that is as bad if not a little bit better and i honestly think that when it comes to cocaine when it comes to meth when it comes to heroin all this stuff people that are snorting cocaine are not like whoa like you know i'm doing cocaine this is not good for this is good for me like they all know they've researched it you don't need to like throw a bunch of educational pamphlets out there we all know what cocaine cocaine is if you don't you're living under a rock like you know we all understand that there's a lot of harmful defects and harmful issues that can happen from you consuming inhaling or snorting these kind of drugs and i think that when it comes to 
you know, the government um, overseeing a lot of this stuff, the only logic that we have for making a lot of these drugs illegal is that it's bad for you. But there's a lot of things in our country that are bad for you that are allowed. I mean, cigarettes have been allowed, vaping's allowed, alcohol's allowed, they're all bad for you. So we're all these things. So my argument would just be that, you know, the reasonings to why a lot of this stuff is illegal doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense because the people that want to get their hands on utilizing some of these drugs are going to do it regardless. So if you were to legalize the whole process um, and go about it in a step-by-step -step basis, as I said, incrementally, you don't want to like just legalize everything tomorrow. You want to go about it in a process and make sure that all the steps and all the checklists are checked before you move on to the next steps. And it may take a little bit longer, but I think if you go about it in an incremental process, you're going to be able to potentially save so many millions of people's lives from um, them dying because a lot of this stuff would be reported that and whenever these crimes do occur, like you can be able to find the source of the main traffickers and the main supplier chains and all this stuff and be able to prevent it at the source. That's fine. I don't even think it's a conversation, though. So you're saying do it incrementally, but like it's not even on anyone's table to have this happen. Sure, you have things slowly like marijuana legalization and psychedelics and stuff like that. But really, there's no congressman going, yeah, guys, let's legalize heroin and meth. Like no one's going to do that. So I agree with you. I'm just not quite sure how you even get to that point. Yeah. Nick, do you have any final thoughts? I, I guess. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I guess I could talk about weed a little oh, bit. You, you need some drugs, Nick? You feeling a little uh, <laughs> sick over hey, there? Hey, I'm uh, only, only taking the legal stuff. So, um, for like for weed, for example, um, look, frankly, I know we've been arguing about this, but I think you could legalize all drugs tomorrow and be fine with it, at least for recreational stuff. I mean, when it comes to stuff like um, prescribed... Uh, oh my gosh, what, what is it called? Where you take antibiotics when you have a bacterial... Okay, so antibiotics are obviously overprescribed. We've got stuff. We were talking about viruses earlier. That's a huge issue. Not to get into that um, for recreational stuff. That's where I'm like, hey, let's not legalize all that stuff because antibiotic use and the rest of it is already way too high, both in animals and humans. We've got to do something there. Um, it's overprescribed. It's abused, the rest of it. Um, but for recreational drugs, honestly, I don't have that much of a problem with legalizing them. I mean, there is some stuff, though, that I found a little interesting. We typically think of weed as, you know, pretty harmless. No one really cares. And it raises a lot of revenue. That's the, that's the common argument. Um, looking at this report that was published uh, just last year by uh, the Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area, which actually oversees Colorado, I think some parts of Montana and sort of that area, they've been putting out reports for the past couple of years, actually every year since marijuana has been legalized. I think it was in 2014 in Colorado. And every single year you see that these numbers are going up in terms of the number of traffic related deaths um, pretty much doubled after legalization where they find in the toxicology reports that yes, this driver that was involved in this accident had marijuana in their system. Not very surprising after it's you know legalized and the rest of it. Um, but there are some public health things where treatment, apparently treatment for marijuana usage of all ages decreased actually after legalization, um, by 21% from 2009 to 2019, the percent of suicides in which toxicology results were positive for marijuana has increased from 14% in 2013, which is prior to legalization 
to 23% in 2018, which is a couple of years after legalization. Um, you still have black market arrests, you still have felony arrests, you still have seizures that are actually increasing after it's been legalized. And I guess that's part of it is just, you know, you're selling to other states, people go to Colorado because they're like, hey, there's weed. Um, so I get that. But the tax revenue stuff is really surprising to me. It was only it was less than 1% every single year in Colorado's state budget. Um, and furthermore, 67% of local jurisdictions in Colorado have banned medical and recreational marijuana businesses. So that kind of stood out to me because I thought it was sort of like statewide. So I guess when we legalize this stuff, um, I think Pratik's dream ideal of, you know, small localities and towns yeah. having their say. Kind of shuts is, it uh, down. That actually does become a big thing. I didn't realize that that at all. I thought it was statewide. It was legal. You could get it anywhere you wanted. But it looks like the towns and cities actually do have some... Um, jurisdiction to say, hey, we don't want this in our in our town. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, but overall, look, all the stuff that Tyler was saying, I agree with it. I think it should be legal. I think the drug war has been a total failure. I don't think there are many people that would argue and say, yes, we need to continue this war on drugs and the rest of it. You'd be surprised. Um, sure, there's, <laughs> but people our age, I'm saying, like our generation, I feel like it's we've just grown up in a different reality as opposed to the reality in which all these tax forces were created in the first place. And I think the stuff... Maybe, but you got to remember the hippies basically led to the enforcement of these drug policies. So we blame so. the hippies. There we go. Last night we were talking no, no, about no, Woodstock all I'm with saying is Blame the hippies for everything. Yeah. It's hard to say our generation's different when we did have a generation that did push for that. And then what happened was the government's like, look at these crazy kids. We need to shut this down. It's yeah, but now it's actually being stuff. legalized. So I do think that things are being different. Okay, that's fair. All right, yeah, well, with so, that, we'll move on to our next topic. Um, we're going to be talking about rank choice voting versus single-person voting on our ballots. Um, so so what do you guys think? Should we have rank choice voting introduced in America? Do uh, I don't know. He's, he's got some do you guys fiery think, takes. Do you, do you think this should occur only for, like, smaller, like, mayoral and congressional or do you think it should go all the way to the presidential Screw that presidential election Pratik, what do you think rank choice voting presidential election let us hear your pitch why or why not no I, I think you should you should vote for one person i honestly think that whenever you engage in things like rank choice voting you're providing a lot of these candidates that you don't really like to get a bunch of votes that you necessarily don't like they're just like your second or your third and i would rather you just vote for the candidate that you like i mean if that makes that person feel bad so be it like you know there are some elections especially primary elections where this is an issue where if you do engage in ranked choice voting you everyone will end up potentially getting an outcome of someone that no one really likes but no one really hates and i would rather Sounds people just vote me. for who they like I don't want people to vote for like, you know, get their like third favorite candidate to win when there's like six or seven candidates. I would rather you just have your favorite candidate win and you vote for that person. And I think that makes it more fair and square. I think that whenever you engage in ranked choice voting, like if people are, there are some candidates that are like, yo, I'm going to try to be friends with all these people. So then they'll make me their third vote or their second vote. Like that just kind of makes it all distorted. You saw the recent New York primary election for their mayor and they had so many issues because they engaged in ranked choice voting 
and they didn't really have an outcome on who won until like two weeks later nowadays we can't count man our election situation is so messed up before we just like counted votes and we're like all right we got a winner now we're like yo man we're like three weeks in we, we have no idea what's going count. on 2021 yeah we don't know how to count anymore because the people that we like they're not winning so we're like all right we got to keep recounting this until we see if somebody something changes so our person wins but now that's been the situation when it comes to ranked choice voting even more than one person's election sure you can make an argument that the one choice selection thing has been a failure for the last two elections for a presidential election we haven't really been able to count since 2016 we blamed it on the russians for four years then we did it again but like this time it was trump because you know trump is like somehow trying to rig the election from biden and biden won so biden won fair and square despite like all these other countries interfering in his election which also happened the last election but back then it was an issue now it's not because biden won but regardless that debate is you can put that on the side i would argue that you should have um you should have one choice voting you don't need to have ranked choice voting because you would rather the candidate that you like the most win apart from you know you having a bunch of candidates that you like and you choosing because that just causes more potential problems for whenever they determine who the election winner is apart from a one choice vote whenever they will be able to figure out oh this person got this many votes this person got this many votes therefore this person wins Okay, well, what what about the thought that potentially it could increase the validity of third parties and these lesser candidates getting some more recognition and maybe some more exposure so it's not so locked down to the two-party system? Because that's what I see would be the benefit. Because you would have like, oh, I, don't, I like the Green Party, but I'm not going to vote for him because he's not going to win. But maybe I could put him number two and that'll give him a chance because I actually want him to win, but I'm not very confident he will win and get the vote so i just think it changes the game a little bit yeah i think you would put them number one in that instance because if you want them to win but you're nervous that they don't have the votes you put them number one and then when they don't win the first round they get tossed out and then you get your second choice i think that's totally fine mm -hmm. i think there are a lot of benefits to it but as pratik uh, was saying and i know you put it off to the side pratik you put that whole argument that you laid out you said ah we're putting that on side i'm going to pick it back up okay i think it's total garbage i think it's bullshit okay you say 2016 <laughs> oh trump oh 2020 dude we've had contested federal elections for a long time okay look at bush gore in 2000 that was hugely contested we didn't know the result immediately i know every time we talk about this you're like we need to have the result the the day after name another the one day after <laughs> the the millisecond after the last vote we need to know know what happened i get that dude i get that in new york it took too long it's making you nervous but honestly stuff like that because of people like pratik i don't think we can do ranked choice voting i think there was too much crap that went on this last election like especially when you added in all the mail-in ballot stuff that already blew some people's minds they had no idea how to deal with it they're like but but trump was winning in the the first night and then we got the mail-in votes and then he was losing that doesn't make sense it was rigged Meanwhile, you're more likely to send in a mail-in vote if you're a Democrat because COVID just so happened to fall along partisan lines of people who were staying home and didn't want to get this disease mailing in their ballots versus people who were more comfortable showing up in person, Republicans. So it wasn't that crazy of an outcome. People had been saying it for months leading up to it. And then, of course, everyone acts super surprised when the result matches exactly what was predicted months in advance. But in any case, for ranked choice voting, I think, look, like Pratik was saying, it is actually pretty valid. It'll cause a lot of confusion on a national level. And especially when all the states do things a little differently, you're going to have some states that count. You know, they're going to be done pretty quickly. 
like Rhode Island. Rhode Island's going to be done super fast. They don't have that many people. They've got a you know tight knit system. Whatever. Rhode Island, good for you. Hey man, Alaska took oh, so long. Dude, they don't have many people. Yeah, the, the snow dogs. It took them Sled like dogs. twelve days, man. Taking a while to ship the uh, the mail in votes. But I think, look, I I personally I think I would be in favor of ranked choice voting, but on the federal presidential election i just don't think it's realistic right now given all that we saw in 2020 with the contested election where we only had one vote one choice one choice one vote one person one vote if we can't get that right i don't know how we can do ranked choice got it so we can't count so we can't do the people are too stupid tyler i just (laughs) that's where i come down so you're saying if let's say we can verify all the votes we can count this we're, we got really good by 2030 we redeveloped our math blockchain skills, for the came votes. back to us yeah, let's do it blockchain votes we, we nailed it down would it then in that perfect world be i'd be okay? good with it because people have complained for a long time about this uh, two-party system that's got a stranglehold over american politics neither of the sides seems to budge there's no incentive for them to reinvent themselves in any way sure you have some mavericks like trump who come in and change the game but that's far too um i don't know far too infrequent for that to actually end up reflecting like for example you see like the laws that get passed they don't reflect the majority opinion and while i don't think the majority should rule with tyranny i do think at some point your laws should reflect what the majority of americans do think i think that would be a good thing in a democracy for the laws that lawmakers enact to reflect the will of the people but i think for a lot of these like a lot of folks, for example, you want to vote third party, third party candidates need a certain percentage of the votes to actually get some federal funding. I think it's 5% of the votes and then you get sort of a tier of federal funding towards your next election. I think hitting that sort of tier is only going to be realistic if you have ranked choice voting. Without it, I think third parties are always going to fail. Also, what Nick just basically said was he likes populists because populists are people that, especially politicians who strive to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by the established elite groups. And the elite groups are the ones making all the laws and all the decisions, and they're not really reflecting the general public, which is how people like Trump and Bernie Sanders get so much pomp and hype because, you know, they're representing the people unlike some other bozo that is just there, been there for like 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Somebody like Biden who comes president because they've been in office since they were like 30 and they decided that they wanted to run for president at 78 and now we're there how old is biden i don't even know but no like my my point is my point is that whenever you do deal with this kind of stuff i agree with nick but i also don't think that it's the better choice as tyler says ranked choice voting because i whenever you vote you're not like man who's my third favorite candidate I got to think about this. This is my third favorite person. You're my fourth favorite. You're my fifth favorite. Oh, that last guy, there's 10 candidates. He's my 10th favorite. Like, you don't go about oh, things like that. You You're don't like, get 10 right, votes. Who okay? is my favorite candidate? You don't candidate? get 10 votes, all right? How, how do you know how big this ranked choice thing was? It's In five. the New York primary, you could rank choice nope, every candidate. Yep, it's five. Just five? Okay. But if you only have five candidates, well, it works out then. I mean, that is possible. It's not like you have, like, you know, 50 people run every time. This is where I differ. I can agree more with someone and slightly less with someone else and still say, all right, I can still put them as number two. You don't even have to – you wouldn't necessarily have to put your – one through five you could just put the one guy you want like pratik imagine you had jeb bush and klobuchar on the ticket and then you had some third party like sanders right i guarantee if there was ranked choice you'd put jeb bush first klobuchar second and sanders third 
that's sort of giving you the option to say, hey, look, I don't like I like Jeb Bush. Well, I wouldn't know. That's for what Sanders. I'm saying. <laughs> I, I like Jeb Bush. I don't like Sanders. But you know what? Klobuchar, eh, she's OK. I could deal with that. You would put her second. It's just giving you an option to say, hey, look, you know, you don't have to choose between the lesser of two evils. You could say the lesser of three evils. <laughs> No, I, I, I like the idea, but I'm just thinking that it's not practical long term. And plus, I really think there'd be a lot of problems with them trying to figure out who won the election, personally. I, I think that whenever you have ranked choice, you're going to come into a lot more fallacies in terms of how elections are conducted. You're going to have a lot more people criticize the election process. And there's going to be harder ways for you to prove this person actually won the election. I honestly think, like, if we're having this much difficulty when we're choosing between two people, imagine how difficult it will be. Or even in a primary where you're selecting one person right now. The Democrats had a hard time during the Iowa caucus. The Republicans, I'm sure, had a hard time. But it was, like, you know, in 2012, whenever it was Mitt Romney and Newt Gingrich and Ron Paul back that time. But, like, this has been a continuous situation. Like, we've always had issues when it comes to primaries. And those are the, pe- the primaries, I feel like, would be the starting block to how you would go engage in ranked choice voting more so than federal elections. And I still think that they can't do one person voting, so them one po- one choice voting, so they would have a lot of hard times doing ranked choice voting. I just think that there would be a lot more potential problems that can happen with ranked choice. I mean, I get the sentiment behind it. Sure. If I'm like trying to vote in a Republican primary and I'm like, "Whoa, I kind of like Jeb Bush, kind of like Marco Rubio. I mean, give me some Nikki Haley. We're like, all right, I like all these people. They all good. But even then, like, I feel like, you know, if you if you go about that process, every some whoever loses is going to be like this election was a fraud. It didn't go right. That and happens. There's anyway. no way you can disprove them. I, no, but it's just going to be happen yeah, much it's, it's going to be much worse. It just doesn't seem like a good excuse. Like, all right, we 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 could figure out how to count votes properly. Like I I just I'm more I don't confident. Know about that, man. I'm confident we could do it, especially with things like blockchain technology. Like if if you have a digital ledger where everything's decentralized and your vote gets cast and no one can touch that vote and it just gets locked into the system. I think technology will develop to a point where we can get things like that done. So I just, I don't think we can discount the idea because we're too stupid to be able to count votes. Like, I just think that's such a poor excuse to not implement a system that could potentially uplift the fact that we can have more parties than just the two parties. Like no one right now, it's basically a mono party. Like they argue about shit, but generally like, you don't really get any kind of real change in the system we have today. And you could vote for Trump. You could vote for Biden. Sure, there's definitely going to be differences. But generally with the parties, I, in, in my opinion, they just don't re- represent all the wills of the people. Yep, so. which is why we should turn to a literal elite, <laughs> both economically and socially and education-wise, going to an Ivy League school. Turn hey, man, to you were just elite. a populist turn, a second ago. <laughs> Like Trump for populism. <laughs> Great idea, guys. He's, he's really representing the common working people of America. I mean, he is doing it better than somebody like Joe Biden is. Joe Biden's a career schmuck that has been in office for like generations. And now he's like, oh, I'm representing the people. But all my people are the low income Americans that are all somehow the Trump base. But they're also voting for me because I represent the common working man. That's the Biden. But no, like. 
I I don't know. I apart from politics, like I I still think that this is a sketchy situation. Just because I feel like we can't do elections anyway. We can't choose one person. How are we going to go about it in choosing percentages on like, oh, this is ranked choice? Because that's a really complicating system. I don't. So know you're saying it doesn't work election. anyways. Why would it matter if it didn't work in a different way? Because because I would rather that system that is much easier, even if it doesn't work, than a more complex system like ranked choice voting. Well, let's say let's say it works because that means you're going to have. Let's say for the sake of argument that it worked. What do you have against ranked choice voting? I mean, you, as someone who hates it, for example, you could just put in, "Hey, I only like one candidate. I will only put one name down." But if someone else, like Tyler, likes three people, because that that kind of goes against. Because then if I voted for that person first, then if that person doesn't win, then I lose altogether. And it can happen anyway, but I just feel like you're giving an advantage to certain people that are putting more people's names in than aren't. I would rather everybody just be treated equally and just vote for one person, and if that person loses, Everyone has so the same it. opportunity, Pratik. It's not like you're giving an advantage to one person over another. All right, but with that, we're going to be moving on to our next topic and our final topic today, which is universal basic income. Are you guys for or against universal basic income? We'll start with you, uh, Nick. Oh, man, starting with me here. So I, I did a little thinking about this, I want to say, a year ago when the Yang Gang Let's Let's educate running. the people on what it is. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Pratik, educate the people. You volunteered. <laughs> All right. So UBI is basically a system that allows everyone to make a certain amount of money um, every year. So it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what age you are. Everyone makes a certain amount of stipend from the government. So this program um, allows all people to make something. It's going to be similar to Social Security, but it's going to be for everybody. And in in order to allow UBI, you basically... um, uh, you basically eliminate a lot of these other welfare programs to make room for that money. So like earned income tax credit and those kind of programs. And basically, um, you provide $1,000 per month from the federal government to everybody. It doesn't matter what, what their situation is. And you allow those people to be able to make those decisions for themselves and how they want to use their money. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally so, think a monthly stipend is probably going to be a good idea. I'm not sure we're there yet. I think as things like automation increase and a lot of jobs are taken out, like truck drivers and those kind of jobs, we're going to have a need for universal basic income. We need to have uh, some kind of funding provided for these people. And like Pratik said, I think you're able to get rid of certain uh, other certain welfare, welfare programs and just make it more like a flat, even playing field for everyone. You get this money, you'll be able to live. You'll be able to find, like, I know there are some places in the country you can get cheap rent. With $1,000, you can do a decent amount. So I think it's good that we at least provide that for people, give everyone an opportunity to, let's say you want to invest that money, do, it, do whatever you will, but it'll give pe- people the opportunity to make something of, of themselves, even if they have nothing, even if they can't work. So I, I think it's probably going to be a good thing. I'm so- Well, um, before Nick goes... Before Nick goes, I want to add one more thing because I feel like this is an important statistic to add. Um, the welfare programs that would be eliminated by adding u- universal basic income are one of the or five of the biggest programs in our country. Food SNAPs, basically SNAP, Earned Income Tax Credit (EITC), Supplemental Security Income (SSI), Housing Assistance, and um, the, one of the biggest as well, Temporary Assistance for Needed Needy Families (TANF). TANF. 
So those are the five um, or six big programs that would be eliminated by you implementing a universal basic income. So those programs have a lot of money in them. Like food stamps have 61,000 to 82,000 per month that gets added from like, you know, 61,000 to 82,000 um, in millions that gets added by, you know, the government. And that money in terms of federal spending would just be, you know, reallocated towards the universal basic income system so you would still have enough money to actually afford it you just eliminate a lot of those other programs from being in place now you can make an argument that oh EITC is good EITC, uh, TANF is good food stamps are good yeah regardless this would just eliminate those and make room for UBI and I mean, those people that are getting those um, forms of assistance will no longer get it. And this would basically, and with earned income tax credit, you have to make a certain amount of money for you to get those kind of programs, any of those programs that I listed. So this would incentivize people to make more money than whatever they need to make. So then they don't have to have a tax deduction and, you know, they can be incentivized to make more money. I just think that with UBI, that's one of the primary outlooks from a Republican standpoint and from a Democratic standpoint. They're arguing that if all things break loose and if we're not able to get enough money to make our government, um, make make people be able to have enough money to live, then you have a universal basic income that makes sure that everyone makes at least this thousand dollars a month amount of money, regardless of whatever situation economically that you're in. Sorry, I wanted to provide that outlook just so I under so I can explain how it all. You're good critique. I frankly, with what you just uh, laid out, I'm not sold on it the way you laid it out. Um, and here's why. I think a great okay. thing about the United States is that we recognize that when you're down on your luck, your other citizens, your fellow citizens, your fellow Americans, your neighbors are going to help you out. You do that through programs, means-tested programs like food stamps, like housing assistance, etc. And one of the things that I like about those programs, I don't like the fact that they're means-tested, really, but I do like the fact that they are targeted aid to families. I think that if you then sort of say, okay, look, the the principle there is if you are a family in need or an individual in need, we will help you. What I don't like about scrapping all of those programs completely and then just replacing it with a UBI is to say that, hey, we don't care what your financial situation is. We don't care if you're down on your luck, whatever. Everyone's getting the same thing regardless of, hey, you have a neighbor down the street. He's doing just fine. He's going to get the same amount of money as you, even though you're doing much worse in life. I don't like pulling the rug out from people. And granted, if you were to just convert um, the existing aid that's going to these means-tested programs and saying, hey, actually, um, instead of giving you, I would be in favor of essentially doing UBI for these low-income families, where instead of getting all these you know, five different, six different, seven different programs, you instead just have one pool of money and it's, hey, you're... You're a responsible individual. Spend the money. You're an American. You have freedoms. Spend the money how you want to spend it. We're not going to police your spending. Um, of course, that gets into some issues where, okay, well, what if someone you know throws all their money away? Are we still not going to help them out at all? I think we still should, even if they misappropriate some of the spending. But I still do think that ultimately people are a lot smarter than you give them credit for. They're a lot more resourceful than the government gives them credit for. And they should be allowed to spend the money that they receive in aid however they want it. I just don't think that you scrap all of the existing welfare programs and replace it with a universal UBI because, again, I do think that while, sure, $1 goes a lot uh, further for someone making below the poverty line than it would for a millionaire who you'd all get the same amount of money, I just don't think that you want to scrap those same social programs at the same time. That's all. I think 
though when it comes to any of these cash transfer programs like ubi everyone gets the same amount of money now we can make an argument we should raise that money to be a larger percentage so instead of a thousand giving people three thousand four thousand dollars a month regardless we're spending so much money on a lot of these you know a lot of these welfare programs that really haven't helped people escape poverty things like earned income tax credit is one of the largest anti-poverty programs in the world and it has very little statistics that have actually helped people actually escape poverty which is the whole point of those programs in the first place and i think whenever you have something like ubi it it helps everyone i mean sure some people will have some better means than other people but I mean, I, this is why I'm more of a flat taxer than an income tax person. I honestly don't think that people should, you know, be punished because they make more money than other people do. And I think everybody should be treated equally, regardless of whether you're rich or poor. And this kind of system, like, yeah, like, yeah, sure, somebody that's poor is going to be impacted in a better way than somebody that's rich because 4000 a month to somebody that's poor is going to mean a lot more than 4000 to someone that's rich. But regardless, I think that overall, you're allowing people to make those decisions for themselves on how they want to use the money. And you need to allow that kind of system to be in place because that's what's going to help a lot of these people make their own decisions. I honestly think a lot of these welfare programs come with a lot of precautions and prerequisites. You have to do this, 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 and this in order for you to get this amount of money. I think that's dumb, especially whenever people are in bad situations financially. And yeah, sure like you know you would make an argument oh you know we're not you're not making that much money from ubi how are you going to be able to afford to do all this stuff but even then if somebody gets paid somebody gets paid like you know two thousand three thousand dollars a month even that's like you know paying for like you know someone's rent that they're paying for to live somewhere like it's the money can be used in various ways and i would rather you allow that opportunity to be afforded to people apart from you just having all these welfare programs to be welfare programs in name only which haven't really accomplished anything in terms of reducing the amount of poverty that exists yeah in but country. critique we both agree on means testing eliminating it and just giving people a pull of money but yeah. my issue is that when you eliminate that and then so for example let's say you have five programs in total they've got a billion dollars together right let's just give some random number I know that's not the real number, but let's say that's what it is. Okay, then you got like, let's say 200,000 families that are getting those, well, probably not that. Let's say you got like 2 million families that are getting that $1 billion. If you then expand the pool of families getting access to that one, you scrap the $1 billion, you say, okay, we're not going to give this out for, you know, these mean tested programs anymore, but instead we're going to roll this into a larger UBI and then give it to everyone else. You're diluting that pool of people who are receiving the targeted aid because they, like you said, they're below the poverty line. And we can argue all day as to the best means to get people out of poverty, but still you are then diluting that pool of money, that pool of funding that has been allocated for people below the poverty line to then spread across every single American. And I don't think that that's the proper way to do it. I mean, if, if we lived in a country where we had a huge surplus and sure, you know, take a little bit of money, you give it back to people like, you know, on your tax returns or whatever, like what Alaska is doing with some of their oil dividends. I think that's great. But frankly, we're down in the tubes fiscally. I'm surprised you're not pointing this out as a fiscal conservative, as a neocon. Like that, that is a huge thing. We are a country that is in debt. We are a debtor nation. A lot of that debt is owed domestically. And I just think that frankly, when it's well. I guess a counter argument to what I'm saying right now is we've just passed, you know, trillions of dollars in stimulus and spending. So it's like, who cares about money anymore? The conservatives don't care about it anymore. The Democrats don't care about it. No one cares about it. 
And I know you're shaking your head, but Pratik, under Trump, government spending rose to all new highs. Don't give me that crap about how Republicans care about spending. They don't. And it was clearly demonstrated under Trump's presidency. I'm not, I haven't said anything I about show you, No, I saw you shaking you, your head. Man. I saw you, saw you doing that stuff. But <laughs> The only reason I'm shaking my head is we're spending a lot of money, trillions of dollars in all these welfare programs as it is anyway. So, like, I don't think, I think that's a mute point because we're not going to eliminate earned income tax credit under if you don't create UBI. Those programs have existed since the 1900s. They haven't done anything. The people that are poor are still poor that are utilizing so, EITC. Someone like Thomas um, Sowell many of these would argue that, like, hey, we've created a, a dependence on these welfare programs. So it doesn't really even matter the amount they're given. If they're, if they're just going to remain dependent on it forever, the long-term cost is going to be exorbitant like people aren't getting out of poverty through these programs i would rather i kind of agree with pratik i think it should more be more of an even playing field yeah no so like i would just say that you need to you i, I don't think that's a matter in this conversation in terms of the debt situation how much money you're going to spend on it because you're gonna you're spending money on welfare anyway you're not like eliminating welfare you're not like all right we're gonna eliminate all these welfare programs and then that's it you're basically just allocating that money to basically be just no but you're allocating it to you're a you're diluting of people yeah you're diluting it yeah i know but even in that so the people who are already struggling are getting less more money. in your system. But no, no. But you're also providing a lot of money to people that don't work. You're providing a lot of money to women that are parents or new parents that aren't were in the workforce. You're providing money to kids that aren't able to work. You're providing money to like you know 15 year olds, 16 year olds, people that you know are not allowed to work in our government or in our country. So I think that in many cases you have to look at it in that context. Sure, you're eliminating some of the people that are receiving certain benefits, but you're also adding more people in those benefits. So like you might not be providing the same amount of money that you're providing someone that's below the poverty line, but you're also providing more money to their like wife and kid. So you're still providing them a similar amount of money overall. It's not like the 13-year-old or the 12-year-old is going to be utilizing all his $1,000 every month. That's all going to be technically used by them parents, I'm assuming. So like, I just think that in terms of the context that we're talking about, welfare worrying about how much debt is creating and all this stuff and like worrying about how much money you're adding to the national debt through creating ubi that's not that's a mute point in my opinion because you're already spending all these millions of dollars anyway and we're going to continue to do it regardless of how effective or ineffective a lot of these programs are and programs like ssi tanf and eitc have been proven to be ineffective based on all the studies and results that we've seen from those programs now you can make an argument that snap hasn't necessarily been ineffective which that's a fair argument but what i'm saying is overall a lot of these programs that are listed that would be eliminated a lot of those programs haven't been that helpful and housing assistance yeah sure that's great but housing assistance really matters more in places that are big cities like dc la cal you know like those kind of places it's not really impacting you know people that are living in the suburbs of some sit in some state like indiana like that's my context is that whenever you deal with this stuff you have to look at the whole country as a whole and 
I feel like, you know, instead of having all these steps that people have to get to to get some money, you're doing the same thing. They're still making more money than they would be if those programs didn't exist. But instead of a bunch of prerequisites, now they're making it regardless of whatever their situation is, however old they are, whatever their financial situation is. And everyone makes money. The wealthy makes money and the poor people makes money. It's just it just depends on how you look at it. It's just one of those things where it doesn't discriminate against anyone. I'm surprised you haven't cited the benefits of eliminating the administrative costs of running all these programs such that you can use the savings to then give mean, to people. I don't think it will. You don't think so? In all honesty, I But if you're not I means testing, will, then really. why do you need I've thought about it. to administer these programs if you're not means testing? Because I don't I see it's like in all honesty, I didn't really consider it that much because I feel like a lot of these welfare programs have a lot of administrative costs and those administrative costs would transfer to UBI. So it wouldn't really change much. The same situation would be in place. Why would and I also UBI feel that cost when that it comes to UBI then though, if you don't have to do the means testing, I, I don't know. The thing is thing is in all honesty, okay. I don't know because it's harder for you to know how much money is going to be spent in terms of UBI because it's going to be all around the world and it's going to be given to everybody. Or all around the world, all around the U.S. and given to everyone, regardless of whoever they are. So you're going to have to make sure that every single individual person in our country gets it. Like in our terms of our stimulus thing, you've seen that there have been people that haven't been able to get their stimulus checks. Some people got it. Some people just didn't get it. They just kind of forgot about them. That happens all the time. So I think that you would spend a lot more money on making sure that every individual person is getting the benefit and everyone's going to benefit from it. So it's not like anyone's going to be against it in terms of them having to use their tax dollars to pay for it because regardless of whoever you are you're going to get the money i just think that in terms of this though you're eliminating the incentive for people to like you know have to follow have to make a certain you know income be in a certain income level or incentive for people to only work a certain amount of hours because you know if they work over they won't receive a benefit you just eliminate all that and you make it a more capitalistic market by incentivizing a ubi system in all honesty republicans aren't for ubi but I, if I like, you know, as someone that's a capitalist, I would argue that that's the best way you should go about this because instead of you having all these welfare programs that, you know, haven't really proven to be successful or efficient, even though you have the same amount of costs, it's going to provide you a lot more benefit long term because everyone, regardless of whoever you are, is going to get this money. Now, I don't know how inflation is going to factor into this, which that's a better anti argument for UBI because, yeah, sure, it might cause a lot more inflation and then you won't have the same. Amount, right amount of money you know if things will be valued at a higher price than whatever you know the money that you're being provided but that's a whole different argument i just think that when it comes to welfare we spend a lot of money on it and i would rather you give money to people instead of you know trying to create all these you know different perks and different you know prerequisites for people to get that money instead of you just giving it to everyone. that's fair i'm I guess we're on the same page about means testing, so not much of an argument there. But was I so, was surprised yeah. that you didn't bring up the fact that, you know, Pratik, you've brought this up a few times in the past where you say, um, I'm trying to do your job for you, okay? Where you say, oh, well, if we give everyone money, then that'll incentivize people to start small businesses, and then that in turn, they'll end up, you know, giving those wages back to the... That's no, Giving wages back to the community <laughs> such that if you don't have great job prospects, actually by UBI, you're stimulating... A certain class of people who are starting business who otherwise wouldn't have been able to start a business to then provide those jobs to the community so that then lower income people yeah. can then get those jobs and then make a better or pay for school. Yeah, exactly. Like develop skills. Yeah. 
Tyler, what were you going to say? Well, I, I agree I, with that. I, I was just, I, yeah, I was just going to say fun. that um, I, I just want to, like, find, the difference between your argument seems to be Pratik thinks it's okay to dilute that pool of welfare because it's it's more fair to everyone if everyone's getting the benefits of this welfare system that is not proven to be too effective if the goal is to get people out of poverty and not to just have them in this welfare system. But your point is the people that need the money most should be getting almost all the money because they're the ones who need it most. If you make enough money, why should you be getting paid every month? Is that like the main difference? I think so, yeah. For me, again, if you have people who are below the poverty line, I think they should get targeted assistance. And I don't think that assistance should extend to someone like me, for example, where I'm doing just fine. I can pay my rent on time. I have enough for food, medical care, whatever. I'm doing okay. Um, I don't need government assistance for someone else. Like, for example, me getting UBI, I don't really need it. But I'm more than happy to pay through taxes or other means, um, charity, whatever, um, to give an American family who's struggling currently. And I think that's the beauty of the system. It's not designed for you to perpetually be on it, which Pratik raises a really good point there. I think that is a huge issue because these programs are not designed for you to perpetually be on SNAP, on, you know, whether we could argue about its effectiveness or not, on housing assistance, whatever. I think the ultimate goal of these programs is just to help you get, you know, some financial stability under your feet so then you can go out into the job market and then earn a living to support yourself. It's only supposed to be temporary. And I agree with Pratik that sometimes it becomes a permanent crutch or solution where ultimately I don't think it should be. And obviously, like, my thing is, like, yeah, sure, wealthier people don't necessarily need this money. But the benefit of it is that if everyone is receiving this money, no one's going to be complaining about it. You're not going to see rich people complaining about they're not receiving their welfare payment or them they're not, you know, they're paying all this money in taxes and they're not really seeing any outcome or benefit coming from it. But if everyone is equally provided this money, it's going to definitely, you know, benefit people that are lower income a lot more than it's going to benefit people that are higher income because $4,000 to someone that's poor is going to be a lot more than $4,000 to someone that's rich, right? So I just think that if you eliminate that system to some extent, you basically allow there to be a welfare system that's going to be much more effective. There's going to be, um, you know, they're going to basically know that everyone is paying into the system because unless you pay for it, you're not going to end up getting this, like, you know, monthly income and in the long term if there are issues where like you know there are people that are not able to fit with their job market and all this stuff it benefits them regardless they don't have to like go through like different filings and go through all this paperwork in order to actually get this kind of income like right now with all those like you know eidl loans and stuff like if you are a business and you're trying to get one of these like there's a lot of processes and steps to it it's not the easiest thing to do is just get all these eidl checks like you have to go through a whole process you had to get approved it's like almost going going to you know try to apply for college it's like you never know what's going to happen till the end like i just think that you eliminate a lot of that stuff and you make it so it's easier for everybody and everybody still makes the same amount of income that they were making from welfare and the people that weren't making it they're also making money because they're the ones primarily paying for it it just it makes everybody happy. You're not going to have like, you know, people that are pissed off at the system because, you know, everyone is making something out of it. I feel like I'm looking at it in a very equality standpoint and Nick is well, it depends at what you mean by like, equality. Right, it's like, do you want to help the people money. that are not doing well or do we help everyone equally and give them all equal opportunity? And like, uh, like yeah, ideally in an ideal ladder. world, That's we go, equality hey, to me. you know, there's an option you can get... 
the thousand dollar checks you get, you could just pass it back to low income families or something. Like you're making a million dollars. I don't need this. Maybe I should hand it off to these guys. I think it's, maybe it's unreasonable to say but that. I feel like I don't. I don't think that you know. This is why I don't really understand the point where people are like, "Yo, we have to give money to all of these people because it's your own hard earned money." It's not like these people that are wealthy are just like blindly given, yeah, or like just being given money, and they're like, "Oh man, we're so wealthy." They have to do stuff to earn their money. They have to make sure that they're able to keep their money. They have to go through a whole process around all that stuff. I just think that you providing money to everybody means that you're treating everybody equally you're not differentiating between someone that's like in this lower income yeah. class and someone's in a higher income class because the higher income class people are going to do a lot of things that benefit the lower income class people too and there it's all like a circle everyone's helping such out a socialist get out of here <laughs> I'm a socialist because I'm a capitalist. That's literally the opposite of socialism, though. Pratik is saying the, wel- the, exactly. the wealthy should be able to hoard their own money and not help poor people because... I don't think I don't think you should force people to have to pay money like that to other people. Like, I mean, yeah, sure, charities exist, but people are doing charities because they get tax deductions. That's not There's the reason. There's a reason why people do anything. Reason. They're Let's not... be real. Like, evangelicals yeah, give yeah, because they know. These, these wealthy No, dude, it's religious. Like... I swear to God, most of the people who give to charity in this yeah. country oh, yeah, are evangelical Christians, and they're solely doing it because true, of true. their religion. That's the only reason. It's, it's not called because... called like a teeth, oh, tithe or something? I'm, yeah, tithe. I'm referring to the wealthy billionaires and trillionaires that are providing charities to other people because I'm sure the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation doesn't exist because you know bill gates wants to make people better he exists because thing. they reduce the amount of tax burden that they're having to pay i don't know tax. about tax i think it's pr i mean if somebody it's kind of like this although you i'm look sure at he's donald good intentions trump, but okay? ultimately it is pr let's be real you look I'm at donald cure trump. malaria anti donald okay, trump go back yeah. to your oh, that's why donald trump donald doesn't Trump's have charity whole... <laughs> he doesn't want to have to evade tax yeah, he does <laughs> He does. He does. The the Trump Trump Foundation does exist, dude. They have a charity. That's what I'm trying to say. Is even Donald Aren't Trump they under a investigation? It's not like the Democrats are going to be yeah, like, oh, you know, Donald Trump provides charities. They they all provide charities. They're all wealthy billionaires. They provide charities because they need to make um you know be able to keep some of their money. Is that Trump they have. a billionaire? And the way you do that I is contest from charities. That. I've never seen evidence that he's yeah. a billionaire. Yeah, dude, we've been looking at his tax return since 2015. No, we've been man, wanting you know, to. It's gonna continue until like we die. Wanting to, but uh, he hasn't. <laughs> I don't think him. he. I don't think he's a billionaire, or he wasn't at least. If I he is he now, is. it's because he, he definitely lost a ton of money. He is one of the wealthiest entrepreneurs, though. He is one of the wealthiest and most successful entrepreneurs, though. I don't really care whether like you like Donald Trump as a political figure or not. That's a whole different story. But as like you know, uh, well, it's in terms of like you know him owning real estate, him being a wealthy magnate, him being an entrepreneur. That's all true. Like there have been times where he probably did own, have more than a billion dollars, and there's probably times where he had less than a billion dollars. I mean, you know, you're a business person. You lose. I don't money think he ever had a billion money. dollars. It's not that easily you know written. It's like I feel like when it comes to like big CEOs like Bill Gates and stuff, like they're different. They created a product and now they make royalties. Like that's different from somebody. That that's an actual no, no, no. Oh Trump did God, that. Trump, dude, like Trump, Trump branded his it. name. He would just throw his name on building to collect checks. Like, yeah, and it works. Yeah, That's but how he's licensing <laughs> his name different yeah. than royalties on technology. Genius. That's the same saying. thing. It's the same shit. All right, well. Well, I mean, he's managing the businesses. Not it's always. Not like, he literally just sends his name. He he's like, president, here, put your anyway. name on this. Give me some money. We're good to go. 
I'm I not saying he I, had never done that, but it, I just think he made most of his money. From all right, but we're 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 retracting from the original. It all comes back to Trump with fatigue. I just think it's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ reincarnated. Hey man, that's Fauci for them other people, man. Fauci's God. Let's hey, Pratik, let's no, let like, Tyler have something on UBI. If he wants a final word, what are you thinking? I, You've been listening no. to us to us spouting off anything that comes to I, your I, mind. Should we have it? Should we not have it? Was Andrew Yang right? I'm gonna just play the middle ground. I think you're both right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I would say I lean more with Pratik. I don't think it gets rid of all welfare programs for people that are struggling. I don't think they won't be helped. I just think it creates more of an incentive for people, more of an opportunity for them to escape the condition that they're in, like escape the environment they're in, provides an outlet. Um, like it, it is kind of sad to say, oh, this guy makes $5 million a year. Here, here's an extra $1,000 every month. I get where you'd be angry at that, but I think that's just not the majority of people at all. That's just such a minority of people receiving that money. I don't think most people are making that kind of money. Um, and ultimately, if we are all giving the equal opportunity, I think that's that's fair. And I think we're moving to a society where, yeah, more people are going to be doing gig work. Like The economy is changing completely. I think giving people the opportunity to have some extra spending cash is probably a good good idea. I, uh, I actually do agree with that, and I think as far as the gig economy, that's why we should have healthcare that's not tied to an employer so that you can actually have a chance to take risks and not have to default on your health insurance and risk, oh my God, me and my family are going to be uninsured. What if something bad happens? No, I want people to be more entrepreneurial, be able to take risks and be covered. Um, that's a hard pivot. Oh my God, I'm proud of myself for that. But you made, you made some really good points about UBI. And I do think that some of the stuff that people do in terms of government administered funds, uh, especially around the poverty line can be a bunch of BS because ultimately you're saying, okay, you're one cent over this line. We're not going to help you. You're one cent under, we are going to help you. But I think that's where the progressivity comes in to say, Hey, if you're $10 below the line, we're going to help you more than if you're just one cent below the line. I think that's where, um, my point ultimately is mm -hmm. but hey yeah it's a valid argument well with that i think we're gonna wrap it up thank you everyone for tuning into these two debates that was part two of our debate of episode 39 of politicana uh do you guys have any final thoughts or should we wrap it up well it's been a pleasure speaking with both of you i know pratik has to draft his fantasy football team so uh we're not going to keep him from that he's got to go gamble instead of helping the poor people but uh <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Later.